a.m. to 6 a.m. jumping on trampolines sounds awesome. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, if you're a teenager, yes, I'm sure it does. Oh, man. Well, hey, good, good morning, everybody. Hey, if I had to guess, and probably you would agree with this, if I had to guess, though, right here in America, most people, if you were to ask them, just ask random people off the street, hey, tell me the Christmas story, you know, the, the, the baby Jesus story, I would imagine that most people would be able to get out um, the gist of the story. I mean, they could, they could bullet point it at least. Uh, to some degree, they would probably say uh, something about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, placed in the manger. I mean, those are kind of details that are known. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian to know those details. They'd probably mention angels and shepherds and, you know, three kings because that's what the songs talk about. They might confuse some details. They might mention a little drummer boy on a silent night who built a manger. I'm not sure. But anyway, th- they're gonna get the gist of the story out. Well, there was a church recently in Kentucky that uh, they brought in a bunch of kids from their children's ministry. I mean, little kids, little kids. And they put them in front of a camera and they were like, tell the Christmas story. And, and so these kids just through their eyes, they started to tell the Christmas story as they understood it and the, the details they had learned and, and the results were pretty funny. And so funny that some of the adults in the church, they got together and they said, let's act out their descriptions of the Christmas story and let's act it out exactly how they tell it and let's put that on film and they put it all together and the, the, old, the result of the whole thing is absolutely hilarious. This video has gone viral. It's been shown millions of times and I just want you to enjoy this little Christmas story. An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry. And then the angel just appeared and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're gonna have, what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're gonna have a baby. I, you're gonna have a baby and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not gonna have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager, I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. Glorious. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men 
heard about it, and then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's going to be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby i ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is going to change the world. <laughs> Well, not a perfect retelling, but they got the majority of the details out, and I, I think they hit the, the biggies. But, you know, uh, there is an interesting detail about the Christmas story that does not get a lot of attention. And it's an often missed detail that um, happens three times in the, in the Christmas narrative, in the, the birth story of Jesus and the first one happens in the Gospel of Matthew. It's Joseph. We know that as the, the earthly father of Jesus, he's engaged to Mary. And it's the moment he finds out that she is pregnant and the baby isn't his. And the Bible says in that moment that Joseph had in mind that he was going to end this relationship. But he's a good man. He doesn't want to embarrass Mary. But he's, he's like, I'm, I'm out. This is not for me. And it says in, in, in verse 20, it says, but after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. We know a lot of these details, don't we? And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, here's his detail, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that's a detail where the angel says, do not be afraid. That's a detail that sometimes we just blow over and we don't think a whole lot about in the grand narrative. And that's, it's hard to say, what would have Joseph been more afraid of? Uh, an angel appearing in a dream or the reality that your future wife is carrying a child that isn't yours? I'm not sure what the angel was telling him not to be afraid of. The second time um, happens when Mary finds out that she's gonna be a mom and there's an angel that visits her and it says in Luke chapter one, verse 29, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And again, why did the angel tell her not to be afraid? Well, usually in the Bible, if you're familiar enough with it, usually when an angel shows up, there's usually some shock and there's some fear accompanying that presence of an angel. I would be scared if an angel appeared to me like they did in the Bible. But the angel visits this, this teenage woman, and what was she more afraid of? The, the angelic visit or the fact that she's a teenager, she's gonna be an unwed mother, and on top of that, this baby is actually God's son, and nobody's gonna believe her. What was he telling her not to be afraid of? 
The third time that happens is the day of Jesus' birth. The shepherds were tending their flocks, and in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, here's these words again, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, in this example, we know for a fact that the shepherds were terrified. I mean, these angels show the glory of the Lord. That's a terrifying experience. So I'm certainly, they, certainly they were afraid in that moment. But whether this was intended or not, the reality is still the same in all three examples. And it's this, that the arrival of Jesus into this world gives us every reason to never truly be afraid again. Now let me say that one more time. The arrival of Jesus into this world gives us every reason to never be afraid again. And we're gonna unpack this quite a bit this morning, but let me just remind you that, that last week we started to unpack some scripture in John chapter seven and John chapter eight. We're in this series called A Light in the Darkness, and that's a reference directly to Jesus and what <coughs> his role was coming into this world. In John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Do you remember this from last week? I am the light of the world. And then he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus, when he uses the word darkness, we understand that is a correlation, that is a connection, that is a reference to sin. So when he says, I am the light of the world, not only is he saying, I am the exact opposite of sinfulness, I'm the exact opposite of light and dark, but he said, listen, I have come to this world to be a guide and to show you a way from sin. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. They will not walk in the sin. They will not be, be bound by sin's consequences. I'm offering to be your guide. Let me guide you. This is all that Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world. And we know that in the beginning of John's gospel, as he's describing Jesus, he says in John 1, 4, and 5, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And with these kinds of realities, and these aren't the only places, but the, these kinds of descriptions about Jesus, especially this one, light in the darkness. Let me remove fear. Let me bring you into salvation. All of this kind of language, I think it allows us to ask a question. And the question is, if Jesus truly is the light of the world, I mean, if Jesus is all the things that he claims to be in scripture, can we come to this conversation of fear and really be people who can live in this life and not have any fear? Is there anything in this life, really, if Jesus is the light of the world, is there anything in this life that we should actually be afraid of? I came across a study here recently where this group tried to determine the top 12 fears of American citizens. And so they put together this list, and I don't exactly understand how they compiled all this data. I'm sure it was surveys and things like that, but this was a real study, and these are the top 12 fears of Americans. The first one is probably no surprise, the fear of public speaking. Did anybody got that one? Like, no way. Okay, those who raise your hand, you have testimony next week. All right, so anyway, no, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it's not a real surprise that over 26% of the people they surveyed 
We're like, "Uh uh-uh, that's my number one fear. But it goes on from there. The second fear of Americans they've identified was the fear of heights. Anybody have that one? I'm a little nervous when I get up above six feet. I don't like it very much. The next one is the fear of bugs and snakes. Anybody got that one? How many? That's your number one. That's your number right there. I'd rather rather speak in front of a thousand people than, than, than hold a spider. Maybe that's you. I don't know. Drowning is the number four fear. Blood and needles is the number five fear. I don't know, blood and needles. Claustrophobia, number six. Anybody got that one? Fear of tight spaces? Claustrophobia. Um, number seven, flying. Number eight, strangers. I didn't understand number nine. Zombies, all right, zombies. I don't get that one because zombies aren't even a thing. They're not even real. And so you're saying that something that's not even real, now I understand the fear of heights, that's real. But the fear of zombies, that's not, now I will tell you this, I'm a fairly observant person and I listen when you guys tell things to me and show me things. I know already that if indeed the zombie apocalypse actually happens, I already know who in this church I'm gonna partner up with because I know which ones of you give me the best chance of survival. I've seen your guns, I've seen your ammo stashes, I'm coming to you, all right? So if the zombie apocalypse happens and you see a knock at your door from me, it's because I've already tagged you as my best chance of survival, all right. Number 10, darkness. Number 11 and 12 confuse me a little bit, clowns and ghosts. Anyway, these are what they've identified, the top 12 fears of Americans. I think we'd all agree, I don't think this is anything earth-shattering, we would all agree that there are plenty of scary things in this world and about this world. You would agree with that, right? I feel that way. There's plenty of things I'm scared of, things that give me anxiety. There are anxiety-inducing circumstances right here in this, right here in Bella Vista that keep me up at night sometimes. They're they're very real things. But here's where I'm at in my study today. This is where I'm at in my understanding of scripture at this moment in my life. There are plenty of scary things, but just because they are scary doesn't mean that we should be fearful. Does that make sense? Just because something is scary doesn't mean that they should be fearful. I, I think they're two kind of different things. Um, here, let me, I'll, 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 here's what I mean by that. School shootings are a scary thing to me. Now, I've got two boys that I drop off at school every day, and our routine is I pray with each one of them, and every day when I pray, I, I say something like, like this. Oh, Lord, please be with my son today as he goes to school. Please keep him safe and bring him back to this car safely at the end of the day. I pray that every day with my kids. So school shootings are a thing that's kind of scary to me but it doesn't cause me to lose my faith in God or to live in fear. Does that make sense? Terrorism, that's a scary thing to me. The idea that what we see overseas might one day be a a normal thing in the United States, that's an unnerving, scary thing to me, but it doesn't cause me to be afraid or to doubt that God is still in control of this entire planet. Drunk drivers are a scary thing to me, if I'm just being honest with you. When I drive late at night, I'm thinking about it. When my wife is coming home late at night, I sometimes will text her, hey, be careful, because I want her to text me at night while she's driving to be careful (laughs) of drunk, no, I'm kidding. But I'll text her, I'll call her, and I'll say, hey, honey, hey, remember, it's kind of when that, you know, quota goes up, just be careful. Drunk drivers scare me but they don't cause me to live in fear or to be paralyzed with fret. 
So the Bible says, Jesus is a light in the darkness. Whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. That's what the Bible says. Not only that, we'll have the light of life. In other words, we'll have the Lord with us, in us. The light will be with us. We're saved people. That's all it's saying. And if that's true, and I believe with all my heart that it is absolute truth that Jesus is the light of the world, then there is something about that truth that gives me enough assurance that even though there is stuff in this world that's terrifying, I don't need to fear it. Like when the doctor walks into the room and he drops that bombshell on you, that is scary. Some of you have been in that doctor's office before, haven't you? But even in that office, Jesus is still the light of the world and because of that, we don't have to live in fear. When the, boss, when the boss calls you in and says, I'm sorry, but the company's going through some cutbacks and downsizing and you don't have a position here any longer. That has gotta be one of the scarier moments that anybody can live through. Some of, some of you have been in that office before, haven't you? But even in that office, Jesus is still the light of the world and because of that, we need not live in fear. When the one that you said one time till death do us part and you made that promise and they didn't keep that promise and in an instant your world has been turned upside down and in the midst of the hardest pain you've ever experienced in your life, now you have more responsibility than you've ever had in your entire life. Some of you have been through that before. Even in that, though, Jesus is still the light of the world. And because of that, we need not live in fear. If you brought your Bibles with you, will you turn over to Matthew chapter 10? We're gonna spend a few minutes with that chapter of the Bible. And in Matthew chapter 10, the context is Jesus is about to send his 12 disciples out on a short-term mission trip. That's the context of Matthew 10. He's going to send them out to preach. He's sending them out all on their own, without him. And where he is sending them is potentially very scary. It's very dangerous. They're not gonna know where their next meal is gonna come from. Um, they're gonna have to provide, you know, their, their provisions are gonna have to come from somewhere. They don't know where they're gonna lay their head at night. There'll be danger lurking everywhere. It won't be obvious when they walk into a town who is friend and who is foe. The, the threat is very Real, it's very dangerous. That's Matthew chapter 10. So if you look at verse five, Jesus is just gonna unpack what they're gonna be all about. So he says, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely as you have received freely Give. That's what Jesus is telling them to do. That's the objective. That's the mission. Go out and proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. That's what I want you to do. Now look at verse nine. 
Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. And if I was in the room that day and I was looking around at all the disciples listening to Jesus say this, I think there would be a look of confusion come across the room. They might be saying, you mean, Jesus, you don't want us to take any money? You don't want us to worry about how we're gonna pay for stuff? What you're telling us, if we understand you right, Jesus, is you just want us to go and do what you would have us to do and let you worry about those details. Is that what you're saying? I think Jesus said, yep, that's right. Look at verse 16. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Well, that doesn't sound like a good time. (laughs) Wolves love sheep. Tearing them to pieces is their favorite thing to do. And so she's like, you're gonna be the sheep and you're gonna go out among wolves. Verse 17, be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. I wonder if one of them, we don't know, but I wonder if at least one of them says, I don't know about this, Jesus. I don't know. You know, I, I trust you and all. And Jesus, I've seen you do some amazing things. But this doesn't sound like a very fun trip to me. Verse 19, Jesus said, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say. Not if they arrest you, when they arrest you. Do not worry about what you're gonna say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Holy Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So some things are gonna happen to you. It's not if, but it's when. And in those moments, God's gonna speak through you to do something. But it's like, time out, God, to get to the part where you do your thing. I gotta get arrested and beat up to get there. I don't know about this. That sounds scary. Verse 22, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Verse 23, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I wonder if any of them were looking for the door. I'm sitting this one out. I'm not doing that. What Jesus is describing, I just, you know, we've just kind of glanced at a few of these details. This sounds scary to me. But then Jesus says to them, the next thing, and I think this is the next thing, this next part that Jesus says is what I think he wants all of us to hear and understand today, no matter what we are facing in this life. Jesus says this in verse 26. He says, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. For what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. In other words, you just be about my things in this world. You be about what I've got going on. You just trust me. And I know where you're going, this world. It's filled with scary people and scary places, but I'm telling you, do not be afraid. You are with me. You have me with you. Don't be afraid. And then the very next thing Jesus says is probably the most direct statement on fear that you're gonna read anywhere in the Bible. Jesus says in verse 28, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I'm confident that there was a hush that came over the disciples in that moment. 
Don't live in daily fear over what can happen to these earthly tents, these earthly shells that God has given us temporarily while we journey through this earth. So don't be so concerned about that, but be afraid. In other, but have a righteous fear, a holy respect for the one, God, who has eternal say over your soul. The soul is the only part that never dies. This body will die, but your soul goes on. So Jesus is like, don't be, a, don't be so concerned about what happens to this that's going to die anyway. Be concerned about the one who has say over this. And then Jesus rounds out what he says by the, saying this. He goes, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Did you hear what God pays attention to? Do you hear the level of detail in this text? The God of the universe, the creator of all things, he even knows when the smallest of birds fall from their nest. And he says, you are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more to God than the birds of the air. And so why are you afraid? If God pays attention to this, isn't he paying attention to what you're going through? You are worth so much more to God. He understands all that you've got going on. Nothing escapes your notices, not the broken promises, not the doctor's visits, not nothing. So do not be afraid. He's got you. And I think maybe some of us needed to be reminded of that today. That the Lord's got you because you're his. You have the light of life in you. Jesus lives in you and he has got you. As we come back to the birth of our Savior and all that it means, the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 9, 6, this description of the coming of the light of the world. He says this, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called, I love these titles, these are, this is what the prophet said, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Man, if our God, if our Savior is all of those things, we need to ask the question, is there anything in this life that we should really be afraid of? If he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, what is there left to be afraid of? I'm not talking about scary stuff, like spooky stuff. I'm talking about fear. As we celebrate Christmas, I'd like to, to encourage you today to remember that the birth of Christ removed fear from the equation. And as I think about what does that mean exactly? I think there's about five things that I can point to biblically and practically that the birth of Christ, the fear that he removed. The first one is this. I fear that, I feel like the birth of Jesus removed the fear of the unknown. Now just think about this for a minute. I think the birth of Jesus removes the fear of the unknown. I think people, to some degree, we have a natural hesitancy, an anxiety, a, a fear, if you will, to things that we don't know. I'm not going in there. I don't know what's behind that door. You know, we have a little bit of a fear of the unknown, um, which honestly, when I think about atheism, I can't understand why being an atheist makes more sense to some people than having faith in God. Because from my point of view, being an atheist is the equivalent to living every day of your life in the dark with no answers. 
There's no problem solved when it comes to things that are unknown. That's all that atheism has to offer. It's a big fat, I don't know. So I can't understand why people would choose that over faith or why that is more desirable than trusting in the Lord. Prophet Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. It's a direct reference to the birth of Jesus Christ, and that birth removes the fear of the unknown. So the light of the world has come, he has shed light, he has revealed, he has opened our eyes, and most importantly, what Jesus did is he made God known to us. What would have been unknown, which is God, Jesus made him known to us, and so he removes the fear. I know God because Jesus came. He revealed. So I can actually live in this life, and you can too, without the fear of the unknown. What comes next? Because ultimately God is in control, and he has removed that fear. The birth of Jesus also removed the fear of being lost. The fear of being lost. I think every child has had the experience, at least once in their life, where they get away from mama or dad, and, and, and you lose sight of them, and they lose sight of the parents. And, and if you've ever come across a kid who's lost his parents, then you see the look of genuine fear, don't you? Where is my mom? Where is my dad? And of course, there's a whole new level of fear and anxiety when you lose your child in the grocery store. Like, where are you? And um, all bets are off. There's no looking cool after that. You are panicking. You are running through the house. Where is my child? But I think every child has experienced that to some degree. I believe that there is a similar fear that we can experience when we feel separation from God. Those times when we wonder to ourselves, uh, maybe we're having some darker moments, but we wonder, has God let go of my hand? Did, did, did he lose sight of me somewhere? And there's this fear that I'm lost, that God doesn't know me anymore. God doesn't care about me anymore. I wonder if he knows what I'm going through. I wonder if he sees what I'm involved with. What did the angel say three times concerning the birth of Jesus? He said, do not be afraid. Why? Because the Lord has come to, to this earth to be with us, not to be separated from us. The whole reason he came is to be with us, to, to wrap us up, to say, you are mine and I am yours. And so the birth of Jesus, it removes the fear of being lost. God doesn't know where I am. He doesn't pay attention. No, no, no. The whole reason he came is to grab us up tight. The prophet Isaiah said in that text that we just read that he'll be called a wonderful counselor. It's almost like saying he will be a guide, a counselor. I'm guiding you. I'm showing you. I, I'm painting a picture for you. Jesus is all those things. It's like he's taking us by the hand and saying, you're not lost. I'll counsel. I'll guide. I'm here for you. The third thing that the birth of Christ removed was the fear of evil. The fear of evil. The prophet Isaiah said the, the son of God, the son that's been given, will be called a mighty God. Uh, the, the evil in this world, and there really is evil in this world, it is scary. But this little baby placed in a manger that we celebrate at Christmas is a mighty God. And there is not a level of evil that can overcome the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So this mighty God who is with us, who we are not lost on him, will protect us from the evil that is in the, so we, we don't need to fear because God's got this. God's got this. The birth of Christ removed this one, the fear of death. Fear of death. 
The prophet Isaiah said that this one to come will be called an everlasting father. Everlasting meaning non-ending, eternal. Father, protector, guide, provider. He'll be a never-ending father. The Lord came to show us that there is life after this life. That's what the Lord revealed to us. That as men and women of faith, we don't need to fear death because Jesus showed us that through the resurrection, the fear of death, the sting of death can be removed. So we don't need to fear death. That's why I've said many times, the funeral of a believer and the funeral of a non-believer feel like opposite worlds. Finally, the birth of Christ removed, and, and this one's kind of direct, the fear of going to hell. The fear of going to hell. Preachers have stopped talking about hell these days for some reason. It's not a fun thing to talk about, just so you know. I don't wake up in the morning and go, hmm, I'm gonna talk about hell today. It's not that, trust me. But when you talk about fear and what the birth of Christ has removed, you have to talk about the removal of the fear of going to hell. The Lord came to save us from our sins. He is the savior of the world. And this reality is about the only thing that can truly bring about what we would call true peace, knowing that there is life after the grave. And there are two realities in that afterlife. To know that as a child of God, that one of those realities has been completely removed because of the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. My future is not that horrible reality. So the prophet Isaiah said that this one to come will be called the Prince of Peace. So this Christmas, as we think about the birth of Christ, let's remember what does actually bring us peace. It's the removal of these fears. That he's taken the fear away from our lives and we should rejoice in this truth. Friends, it is reality that there are scary things. Absolutely scary things. Everyday scary things. But Jesus is still the light of the world. And because he died on the cross and rose to life, we don't need to live in fear. Are you with me? Let's end with this. In Luke chapter two, verse 11, it says, today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. Oh, there's so many implications there. 